put the slides up. Um, well, as we get to the end of another year, I had uh, no intention of bringing the sermon that this has ended up being. I was, I was thinking maybe we smoothly uh, came in gently like a sort of glider coming into land at the end of 2017 and reflective, meditative, relaxing. And, um, and for some years that might be absolutely the right thing to do. Um, but for this year, uh, at this time, I had, a, I had a couple of Bible verses that were burning away on my heart, so I thought I'd share them with you. And, uh, uh, and I believe God has something to challenge us with uh, this morning. Um, I had a sense as I approached today, um, based on Stuart's sermon on, on Christmas Day, and a sense of God moving in people's lives within TWCF, that God's not done with us yet. Uh, in fact, he's only just started. And uh, I believe that actually we've been building foundation for something coming next in our in our services, uh, our life groups have been pressing into the Word and the Spirit in a way um, that for many has been like hitting the reset button. Um, and something new and fresh and good and godly has been happening uh, in, in our lives. And, um, and in a sense, I believe the foundations are at ground level now. Um, the foundations that have been built are absolutely critical for the time ahead. Um, and the next part, of, next part of God's build, if you like, to continue the analogy. Um, and the foundations are really around teaching, the equipping for life. And over the last year or so, we've heard a variety of teachings to equip us, which I believe were Holy Spirit-inspired teachings, all of which are going to be foundational in one way or another in the time ahead. Brian opened last year with a message that we have a God who is able and willing to come alongside us and help us. And then Stuart shared around uh, seeing Jesus, that God has a bigger plan. And a few weeks later, Brian shared again on how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, and then Stuart shared on walking through tough times and how God is with us. Uh, and Andy Jones preached on using the gifts we've been given. And Judith preached on remaining in Jesus. We've had teaching on how the cross and the resurrection changes everything. A call to go deeper with Jesus. Catherine Hodson preached on ceasing to strive. Pete Barnard um, preached on making life count. We've had sermons preached on your debt is paid, that God made you well by Gareth. How God made us on purpose and for a purpose. And Moise preached on who are we reaching. James Dunbar preached on why the whole gospel is still relevant. And we've had teaching on forgiveness being the key to so much. Dom Japos preached um, on, um, on partnering with God in resetting humanity. And Stuart preached on disqualification, on how we write ourselves off uh, when God doesn't and how we need to stop doing that. So all of these and all, all the sermons in between these ones, I believe are God-inspired and equipped us, not only um, for the time they were preached, um, but also they contributed towards life moving forward as foundations for us to live life on in a God-exalting, God-honoring way that um, brings others to know him and equips us to glorify him in all that we do. So it's with these sermons in mind and with the knowledge that Jesus has been speaking to you and, and to me through these talks that I want to share the first passage of Scripture with you today. Uh, it's from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. It goes like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's Jesus, not me, uh, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew 
and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, just for clarity, I want to explain more about the words of Jesus because they aren't just the words on the page in the Scriptures, although they are these. Um, I know that God speaks through sermons. If we doubted that, then no one would bother preaching, but sometimes it's not the words that are said audibly. So in all this, I'm not saying that if you listen to the sermons and put them into practice, you're wise, although that would help. Um, But they are man's words, hopefully inspired by God. I'm more interested in the words under the words, where the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our lives and in between the lines of what's being preached, um, God is at work. And Jesus' words speak to, to us in our hearts today through his Holy Spirit, as well as through his scriptures. So as an example, I can hear a sermon on forgiveness. We have one, I, I preached it, and you could follow all of that to the letter, and that would probably be okay. Maybe it may be good. What I'm suggesting is that um, possibly better than the sermon is what Jesus says to you while listening to it and pondering it. So if the Holy Spirit points someone out to us that we haven't forgiven, then this is a God-inspired application of the general sermon. God's prod on our lives is personal, and it's vital, it's foundational, and we have a choice to respond to his prompt or not. So with all that said, I just want to highlight the key uh, difference between the two men who built their houses. Now at first glance, it just looks like uh, one built his on the rock, and one decided to build his uh, on the sand. But... That's not the main differentiator. In fact, um, those are the consequences of a decision made before they started building. And the main difference is this. Verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The difference between the two is that one chose to put the words of Jesus into practice and one didn't. That's all. And everything else that followed was a consequence uh, of that one decision. Yeah, that, that one decision defined if they were wise or foolish. In, in real time, their decision changed the fabric and structure of the foundations their lives were built on. It changed how they stood up to trials and tribulations and temptations of life and ultimately it defined if they stood or fell. And looking ahead into the new year I, and beyond, I believe Jesus' principle still stands. He's, he's spoken to you and to I, and I believe we have a choice to put his words into practice and build a house that stands, or not to put them into practice. And whatever we build will not be based on Jesus' words and will eventually fall. We don't want to be building in vain, and God warns against this in the Psalms uh, and through the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Um, we can see that we are in danger if we proceed without God. The parable goes on to talk about the building of the house, so I'd briefly uh, like to cover a few of the basic tools um, and materials I believe we need to build on the foundations moving forward. Um, Just a few tools that will help us to um, hear and apply the words of Jesus, uh, which means those foundations and all that is built on them will be strong. 
So, building tools and materials for the season ahead. Firstly, be transformed by prayer and worshipping God daily. God says this to Moses in Exodus 34 verse 2, Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And speaking from personal experience and from the experience of those I'm regularly with, morning prayer, worship, Bible study and dedication of the day to God is one of the most powerful things you can do in your Christian life. Conversely, if you don't start off your day with the Lord, it's probably a highly uh, crippling thing you can do to yourself when you walk through the day as you're mentally and spiritually deprioritizing something that, that should not be deprioritized. Can I urge you, encourage you to get up, be ready in the morning and present yourself to God um, with praise and worship on your lips. If you're not a morning person in this regard, can I encourage you to recognize a deeper dependence on God? Not everyone is a morning person. Um, but I'll encourage you in that direction. Secondly, cultivate a conscious dependency on God at all times. So Moses said to God in uh, Exodus 33, uh, 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Well, we are amazingly blessed because we live in post-Pentecost times and thankfully we have God with us and in us by his spirit all the time. But it's easy to become complacent. It's easy to plough into our days, into meetings, into situations without prayer, without committing of the time to God and without acknowledging him in all of our ways and being dependent on him. Now, it could hold you up quite a lot in the day. I remember I was 10 minutes late for work once as I was sitting in my car and felt challenged that I wasn't spiritually strong enough as I got out of the car. So I got back in the car and prayed and worshipped until I could honestly say that God's presence was strong and I, I felt equipped and I was able to move forward confidently. It's another good reason to pray early and to get in, into the practice of getting into, into the presence of God first thing. Cultivate a conscious dependency on God. Thirdly, fix your gaze on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Each and every day, your life as a, as a disciple of Jesus is a race, not a sprint, but a steady race of fixing your eyes on Jesus and running through life with perseverance. Perseverance is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It's that steely-eyed focus when all around you is, is screaming out for you to stop what you're doing, that it's hard, it's pointless or fruitless or not achieving the success other, others think you should achieve. But we have to remember that usually those commenting or trying to, to, to stop you are in the world and of the world and are working to their worldview. We're called to be in the world but not of the world. So we have a different success criteria than the world. Friends, fix your eyes on Jesus and be careful. You will have those close around you that will be commenting on your life from the world's perspective. It may be subtle and sound completely reasonable. 
but you're in the world, but not of the world now. Amen. There are those who work nine to five, Monday to Friday, and will earn a pile of cash and live their weekend spending it and enjoying life in a self-satisfying way. They'll look at your life, a life that gives to others, a life that's laid down for others, and they'll look at the way you live, and they'll either laugh or mock or pity or be disgusted with you, but be careful that you don't operate by the world's standards now, and that your pressure to conform to their expectations of how you should be living life. Be careful about what the world says is successful. Be careful about what the world says you should or shouldn't be doing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Persevere as you move closer to him in all that you do. Next. Refuse to let the burdens of tomorrow avert your gaze. In Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Jesus teaches, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. This is sort of linked with the last point, um, in a way that uh, Jesus says the pagans will run after their worries of what they shall eat and drink and wear. And they're finding their security in the material things of life. They fix their eyes on what they want, which is not Christ. Not knowing that if they fix their eyes on him, then everything else they need, not want, but need, will be given to them if they got their priorities right. They get their worldly needs and wants mixed up and end up needing what they want and wanting what they need. But there's more to these verses than just not being anxious and to look to Jesus. You see, if we're not seeking the kingdom of God daily first, then we're focusing ourselves daily. And that does not allow the kingdom to break through in power daily. We're called to advance the kingdom. We're called to seek it first and operate uh, as in the world, but not of the world. But how can we do that if we're not seeking first in all that we do? And these verses are often quoted to people who are worrying about life. And the general advice is, Jesus said, don't worry. People may even add the next line about what shall we eat and drink and where, etc. Um, but they're missing the point. And the point is this. That um, we are to seek first God's kingdom. Yeah, they're a correctional, navigational um, point to seek the kingdom. And you've got a place in the kingdom. You have gifts to operate in the kingdom. When you focus, focus on these... Everything else will be okay. It's a step of faith and it's discipline. But do not avert your gaze from what the world says you sh- to what the world says you should look at. It's anti-kingdom living. And we're called to be kingdom people. Next. Operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 27-31 says, Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and second prophets and third teachers, and then um, the miracles and gifts of healing and helping and of guidance and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So we're looking ahead to build on the foundations of Jesus' teaching. How has God equipped you? The Bible teaches that we're all part of the body and each equipped for our own particular part. Have you discovered your gifts yet? Do you know them all? Are you operating in your gifting at the moment? 
We're equipped for a purpose. And these verses teach us that God has a purpose for every believer in his church. And these verses teach us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that we get baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit? That God baptizes people with the Holy Spirit? And then once baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get spiritual gifts that flow out of us as part of our God-given identity. And we see this in practice. It's not just theory. It's not just a theological point, but an unction and an an action uh, that we see in the church. And I can testify of musicians who have um, started playing songs that they barely knew and their fingers were just moving and God was leading them, which resulted in spontaneous worship meeting and prophetic words given that, um, uh, that have encouraged us and spoken into and confirmed what we believe God's doing in TWCF. And words of knowledge that have set people free. Jesus using gifted teachers I mentioned before. People healed that we heard earlier today. We don't just talk about it, we see it. But I believe there's more as God's not done yet. And there's more of his spirit to be poured out daily as we seek him, as we fix our eyes on him, as we refuse to go forward without his presence, as we seek the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit daily. There's more to come, folks. Do you eagerly desire it? Because I believe that God eagerly wants to equip his people for his service in his church for the lost that are his, to strengthen his church. So we're seeking God in the morning. We're, we're getting into living lives of worship. We're, we're seeking his presence more and more. We're fixing our eyes on him. We're refusing to shift our gaze from him every day, baptized and then daily filled with the Spirit. What else could there possibly be? Go and find the lost and bring them to Jesus. Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. If one of the end results of everything we've talked about so far isn't that our hearts are for telling people about Jesus, our hearts are not for leading them to faith or for discipling people in one way or another, then I think we've misunderstood at least 50% of our purpose as Christians. Now note, I said our hearts are for telling people and our hearts are for leading them to faith. Yes, we should see fruit. We should see people giving their lives to Jesus. But our job is to point them to him and hopefully lead them closer. I'm not saying that if you haven't led anyone to faith in the last couple of months, then you failed. I'm not saying that. But we are called to make disciples and uh, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded and to baptize them. So somehow we need to have hearts that want to share Jesus, that look for opportunities um, to share them, that have enough courage to speak what they want to share. Um, Beyond that is God's work. We do our bit, but God transforms the heart. So can I encourage you to look for opportunities to share your faith in the coming season, even just a little? For those of you who are believers, someone did with you, and look what happened. There's a promise that Jesus includes at the end of the Great Commission that we've just read, and it's this. Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Uh, And when we step out and make disciples, the life-transforming presence of Jesus is working with us through our words and actions and working on the non-believer's heart. Trust him as you step out and you'll see hearts transformed. You'll see miracles happen because 
as you do, Jesus says, he will be with you. Next. Encourage each other. Build unity and community. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, just in fact, as you are doing. And then the writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And then Romans 12, Paul says this, For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received and be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then Jesus in John 17 says this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message so that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us so that the world might believe that you've sent me. One of the things that um, many have said about TWCF is that we're a place of unity, that we're a place that does not gossip about one another, that doesn't tear people down, that, that lifts up each person, where people encourage each other, where we walk with people on their journey, loving them every step of the way. And it's an amazing and precious value, friends. And I, I feel honoured to be amongst you. People are safe here. And safe to be vulnerable, safe to find their gifts, safe to find their place in the body of Christ, safe to try something and fail. And all of this, uh, throughout all of this, I see people encouraging each other and supporting each other, keeping unity of the Spirit. As we go into next year, let's hold this high as a value to live out more, shall we? Where all are loved and respected and encouraged to be transformed and supported lovingly along the way. Unity is the bond between the bricks of God's spiritual house um, that he's building. Disunity means the walls might crumble in places. And we need a strong family, a strong house. And in the verse I just read, Jesus equates our unity as a church to the world believing that the Father sent him. Our choice to love each other and encourage each other to greater things in God can transform the community outside these four walls and cause non-believers to believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. What an opportunity. I want to bring this section to a close in a moment. There, there's a couple more things I want to share with you, um, aside of these. Um, but there's one more thing uh, I want to share with you, just in this part, and it's this. Um, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we've covered a, f a fair bit of ground today so far uh, 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 challenges and encouragements and um, callings to live for Jesus. But if we do it so we look great, then we've missed the point. Yeah? And actually, we've gone in the opposite direction to where we should be going. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The simplest way I can put this is um, do, do it all so that in all things people might say, wow, what an amazing God he is. And if you can do all the things we've talked about so that they leave people in awe of God and not you, we're on safe ground. 
Point it all to Jesus and people will know Jesus. Point it to us and the best they'll ever get is, a, is us. <laughs> it's a shockingly, second best, shockingly bad second best. Do not steal his glory and do not let others put his glory on you. Just a few things that might help us moving forward into the year. So we have the foundations, we have the building blocks to to build on the foundations. And we reflected just a few minutes ago that unless God builds a house, then the builders builders labour in vain. And I want to tell you a story, it's a true one, maybe um, a a couple of months ago, Stuart came into the office and shared with me that he thought God might have put something on his heart for the week of prayer. Uh, The week of prayer and fasting, which starts a week from today. And it was this, 2 Chronicles 29, 3 to 5. In the first month of the year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. And in a way, the story of the consecration of the temple is, uh, is easily relatable um, to us here and now. Everything was in place for the season ahead apart from a couple of things. needs the, ent- the entrance fixing and then consecration. It needed that committing to God to offer it all up to him for his presence to come and turn the temple into his dwelling place. And we can have all the foundations in place, the desires to build, but I believe we need to offer everything to God for him to build, for him to purify, for him to equip, for his presence to fill. And these verses in Chronicles end with a removal of all defilement from the sanctuary. And they're often reflected on in the run-up to um, Passover in Jewish households, where the tradition is that the, the family clears out all the leaven, um, the, the, the products that contain yeast, out of the house. And it's symbolic of, of having a clear-out of all that is unholy, that isn't right in the house. And whilst I'm more than aware that in New Testament terms, it's, it's Jesus that makes us clean from sin. Jesus and Paul also spoke about yeast in different contents, uh, contexts, sometimes um, about unbelief and other times um, about other sins. So I'd like to encu- encourage and challenge us all, me and, and you personally, um, to have a look at ourselves. We've got seven days until the week of prayer. And... Uh, uh, where we're going to pray through what all of this means as a church. Can you have a clear out between now and then in your heart? Can you clear out what's not of God in your life in preparedness? It doesn't need to be super heavy, just thorough and heartfelt. I believe that like the wise builder, we want to choose to put Jesus' words into action. Why not have a clear out of anything in life? Over the next seven days, it stops you doing that. It might be acts you do. It might be attitudes and th- or thoughts. It might be a lack of trust in God. It, it might be that you know something you're called to do and haven't. It might be gossip or disunity or wrong thoughts or ungodly relationships or something completely different. You'll know as it's one of those times Jesus speaks to you in between the lines of the sermon. You know what the things might be because he's highlighting them to you and you can feel a sense of conviction about them. Can we deal with whatever it is? 
can clear them out in the next seven days prior to the week of prayer and fasting. You can start today if you want, right now if you want, and come, we'll pray with you. As individuals and a church family, can we do that? Can we prepare ourselves for a rededication? We can't do anything of value without the presence of God. We'll be building in vain, and I believe that the more we yield our hearts to him, the more we offer everything to God, the more areas of our lives we give over to him, the more we can be used, and the more we can see an outpouring of his spirit in our lives, in this place, and in other people's lives. This next season, consecrate yourself. Be prepared for what God is going to do in your heart, for how he's going to use us as church family. Be prepared. Be people of prayer, of peace and of his presence. There's one more story I want to share with you that's weighed heavily on my heart as I pondered the message for this morning. Uh, It's from the book of John, and early on in Jesus' ministry life, at a wedding in Cana. And it goes like this. It's John 2, verses 1 to 10. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. I couldn't talk to my mum like that. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim and um, he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you save the best till now. What I want to share with you is simple, and it's this. I believe that God is saying there's a new wine for a new season. And like those earthen vessels as we present ourselves, cleansed and prepared, filled with water and presented to Jesus, I believe he's going to do a miracle on us and create a new wine, a refreshing spirit, one that we've received in part before, but that as we're filled with the wine of the Spirit, that we'll be saying it's the best yet. And what has gone before has been good. But I believe Jesus is going to do a miracle in our hearts in such a way that we'll be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just more of the same, however good that was. I believe that as we choose to discard all that is not of him in our lives, as we say sorry to him, as we fix our eyes on him, as we're filled with the Spirit, as we present ourselves daily to him in utter dependence, as we build unity of the Spirit in TWCF, as we encourage each other, as we seek to operate in the power of the Spirit, that there's a new wine going to be poured into our lives and into the life of the church. There's a new wine for a new season. And as we consecrate ourselves to him, as we shun all that is wrong in our life, as we kneel and repent to him, there's a new wine and there's fresh transformation. And there's a new wine with a new outpouring coming if we hear and put into practice the words of Jesus like we've never done before. And as we do, there'll be more wine that encourages us to obey more. And as we obey more, there'll be more and more and more. 
And we'll need to have a clear out of some of the stuff to make room in our hearts for more of God. And this new wine will bring with it an equipping and a ministry into people's lives. There'll be more gifts released into the body of the church. More will be equipped for service. There'll be new leaders raised. We'll win more souls for the kingdom. We'll see more miracles. We'll see apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers raised and in service. All for the glory of God. As he takes and grows his consecrated people, his people who have laid it all down for him, that seek him daily, that pray and worship God daily, who crave his presence and who refuse to move unless his presence is with them and that have consecrated their lives to him and are filled with the new wine of his spirit. Amen.